Welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. Glad you are here. Yeah, we're doing our study hall thing, man. Yeah. I, uh, back from vacation, back from Colorado. We both had a week in another state. Yes. And then came back for Sunday service. On Saturday night <laughs> to be here for Sunday <laughs> We both morning. showed up to the church parking lot at 1030 at night knowing that we'd have to be here starting the service in less than 12 hours. Yes. So it was our best service yet. We, best ever. God showed up still. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> I just said this before we started recording, and it's so cheesy, but also literally true. I said God doesn't go on vacation even when we do. Absolutely. <laughs> Which, to clarify, mine wasn't a vacation. I was a um, bus driver, worship leader, Revelation Beast teacher, uh, hiker, volunteer. You did a lot with guy. the high schoolers. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was not a, a carefree, no responsibilities vacation. Which I'm very grateful that you're willing to do that because it's not necessarily mm-hmm. even the job description. But you are nope. like, I can do that, and I your just wife love doing it too. And I appreciate her taking her vacation time. Yeah. to do that. Yeah, Sharon, if you're listening, you're awesome. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> ditto. <laughs> Well, as you said right before we started, we're, we're kind of in the Sermon on the Mount, but we're mm-hmm. kind of taking our time. And we're we're taking s- our time. We're going to speed it up the next uh, this next week. We're speeding it up quite a bit, but uh, this is only four verses. <laughs> yeah, and last week was only four verses, but I think both of them are pretty foundational. Very much so. Um, in the same way that the Beatitudes are foundational, they kind of set a bar for entry, and they set the bar so low and say you have to go under it. But then the next two are, are setting expectations for what this kingdom of God is going to be about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what this section does. It's, it, it, takes, it takes what feels like the first two sections are declares you are salt, declares yeah. you are light, basically welcomes all that are humble, and now basically goes also... You have to be more righteous than the righteousest person you've ever righteous. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought I could come. <laughs> yeah. Um, the section is very misunderstood at times. I think it uh, can be difficult to understand. Uh, feels very like almost like legal jargon, um, like a lawyer would like talk yeah. about things. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it has like this very intensity, very intense. Uh, wordiness um, to it that feels um, like it's almost cryptic or like cryptic cryptic and it's not it's not it's actually very straightforward but we'll get into that here in a bit I know you have random some really good questions are gonna make me sweat but the first question is no the first demand Uh question is like can you do this uh, this full-on demand status right here. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us who either weren't here Sunday because uh, they were on their own trip or don't attend our church and just want to hear more about this passage, yeah. um, can you summarize, catch us up to what you preached on on Sunday with this passage Yeah. and uh, do it's that in 90, 90 seconds? So we got so much other stuff to talk about. Every time. And if you want to if you want to relive that in all its glory, you can just go onto YouTube and find one of our yes. live Sunday services where which was on it was uh June 25th, 2023. So that's what this corresponds to. You ready? Uh as ready as I'm going to be. 3 2 1 go. 
Uh, we covered Matthew 5, 17 through 20, which is Jesus talking about and declaring right after you are salt and you are light that he has not come to abolish the law. In fact, he's going to keep it to the very letter of the law and that anybody that tries to remove even a pen stroke from what he is going to complete or what is going to be completed is going to be in big trouble. And in fact, everybody that comes into the kingdom of heaven is going to have to do more right things or be righteous in a way that that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law themselves, which is wild. So I broke down what laws do. Laws do two things. They reveal the ideal, and then they also reveal our uh, ill ideal, our inability to follow the rules. And so Jesus is clearly pointing out here that the rules are important because they teach some really good things about who God is and what the perspective is, but they have limitations because ultimately we cannot follow the rules. So in, in tune, I broke it down like this. We are required to live a perfect life to the letter of it, or we receive the punishment, which is Romans' death. Jesus does both of those. He lives a perfect life to the letter of the law, fulfilling what the law demanded, and then in turn gets a different consequence than we receive, which is death. He receives life. And we know the end of the story, so he turns around and, of course, then is able to, through the law and through the consequences of what the law provides, have the positive side and extends eternal life, John three seventeen, not to come to condemn, the world. condemn, but to save it. So yes, I love the end of the sermon. I'm just going to say this is, I know I'm breaking time. It's not how close I can stay to earth and still get into heaven. It's how close can I get to heaven and still be on earth. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I uh, <clears throat> I may have said this in a previous Sunday study hall, but mm-hmm. I did teach on the upcoming section, and I'm sure I'll say that next week, uh-huh. uh, on the upcoming section for a high school retreat like a year or so ago. Uh, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, just what we're doing right now. And they were like, hey, can you teach high schoolers who you don't know super well, can you just teach them about uh, lust, anger, and divorce? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, and so I had to do a whole, like, mm-hmm. law setup thing and, like, why these rules are important. And so I think that that sections like these are are vital to show why this isn't God being legalistic necessarily. Mm. He's setting up expectations. There's... Something else I want to say with this, but I don't want to take a ton of time. Yeah. Um, The biggest place you see, like, laws in the Old Testament, especially ones Jesus is dealing with and about to deal with, is uh, it starts in Exodus 20 with Mm -hmm. the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And we all, in our English Bibles, have Ten Commandments. So Mm -hmm. we hear Ten Laws. Yep. Um, But Commandments is not the best and... Uh, it may be the best translation of that word, but it is not communicating the full extent. It is the ten words or the ten sayings or the ten, like, whatever, rather than the ten, like, legal laws. Yeah, ten axioms almost. <laughs> there's there's importance to them, but it's not like here's the consequence if you don't do it. There are There's other stuff later that's like here's the consequence if you don't, whatever. Yeah. Um, but even with that, most kings and, like, judge kind of people – uh, like we would think today, most judges in that day didn't base off of previous judgments and previous rulings. Yeah. They would look at previous judgments and say, that's the kind of judge I want to be, and then hear a case and try to act like those judges. So it's a little different where, like, you're not actually like the Supreme Court today going back. Hopefully, you can have your own 
opinions mm-hmm. on that. Uh, but like the Supreme Court today where they're like, we need to uh, uh, take this law to mean this thing because of this case in yeah. 1836 where whatever. Uh, those judges would just be like, I'm a good judge. And here, just out of my butt, is my mm. good judgment. Yeah. So they're they're taking all those as examples of what a good judge would rule in certain cases. Yeah. And so the Ten Commandments, more than ten rules, are ten words about what it looks like to be a non-Egyptian slave to or to be in the kingdom of Yahweh and camped around his tabernacle. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So this is kind of setting up that expectation that if you do want it to be a rule and a law that is just a formula and not like a character statement, then you're going to fall real flat. Well, and, and that's, I mean, we've talked about this a lot in our sermon um, prep stuff. Like this is one sermon and these sections, yeah. when we break it up, it really does a disservice sometimes to understanding the flow of everything. Yeah. And so as you're saying, this is really just a setup. This section is a setup for the next thing that Jesus is going to do because he's going to explain the difference. Um, if you have a relationship with the law, all you're trying to do is keep the law. But if you're trying to keep a relationship with God and others, the law is not the requirement. Yeah. How can David in the Psalms 119, and I think 19 also, say, I've hidden your word Mm-hmm. in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yep. And uh, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I'm pretty sure that word, word there yeah. is similar to law, or he says law at other times. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know Hebrew. But, but it makes but, sense, even if it do, even if it's yeah. not the same, that that kind of... The Psalm 1 and 19 and 119, that's real easy to remember. Yeah. Uh, those are the three law psalms, and they talk about the law... And every time they talk about the law, it they have a picture of flourishing. Mm-hmm. They don't have a picture of like backbreaking oppression under the law. Well, and that's I mean that's part of the reason why I tied in Abraham into this yeah. text because it feels like if we're under the law, then Abraham's covenant with God was just a plan to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, because no one was going to be able to ever measure up like no one was ever yeah. going to be able to keep all these rules and so if yeah. that's all the law was ever going to do then that covenant was a death sentence god's law is so much smarter and stronger and better and bigger than uh what's his bucket from esther mm-hmm. who's like here's a law outlaw something that all the jews do yes or like yeah and so remember it, that story it really becomes kind of a neat way of recognizing that jesus is trying to set things back right and he's yeah. going to do that by allowing the law to reveal how broken the world is. Um, the law is going to do this thing where it it reveals the heart of man to the point that they cannot force themselves to act right. Yeah. They can't do yeah. it. And so there's this need. And so that's why I talked about the covenant changes Abram's name to, to Abraham and the concept mm-hmm. of just like when God does this work in us through Jesus, he is attempting to change not only our names, but our final destination, our resting place, our operating system. Like everything is going to shift. I mean, this, this text really is kind of the first indication to the Jews that maybe you can't do this without me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it really is going to be kind of the first time the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law that are listening to this because they're a part of the crowds most likely yeah. have to be going like, no one's more righteous than us. And Jesus yeah. would be like, exactly. Like, like yeah. you'd be like, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I don't want to answer too many of the questions that are yeah. written, but I mean, that directly ties to the Beatitudes. It does. Which is like, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, mm-hmm. and almost cursed are those seeking to be righteous at other people's expense yep. or neglect. Well, and anybody that says you got to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they lean in because they're like, what are, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because then they wouldn't even know what they're supposed to be doing. Like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law don't have the answer. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I'm sorry, what? Like mm-hmm. the best people we have to offer don't get it? And you're like, well, what hope do I have? What secret knowledge do you have? Yeah. And he does that very thing, the very next text, and I don't want to spoil next week, but like he goes, you've heard it said, and then he says, but I say. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching them the beyond the righteousness. So the righteousness mm-hmm. is beyond them. What does it look like? It looks like your heart will never sway from love. It will not last. It will never sway from love. Your heart will never break relationships. It will always keep them whole. Your heart will not even be angry. It will always look to be kind and gentle and to bring relationships. Mm-hmm. Your heart will always tell the truth. It will never break a lie. It would never tell a lie. Your heart has, you know, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like because the kingdom of heaven is where God is. Yeah. <laughs> and so... It's, it's not him trying to condemn. It's him trying to show the difference between what God, who God is, where God lives, what God's about, and what we are in and where we're at. And yeah. he has to do that in a really abrupt, like direct way in order yeah. for you to understand the difference between how the world is and how it's supposed to be. So You almost can't hear his sermon right until you give up on your own strength. Yes. You will, you will feel condemned by this sermon until you recognize it is a rescue note. It is a yeah. it is a lifeline yeah. to something way more beautiful. You just can't drag yourself into it. Yeah, <laughs> you it's like you can't get there on your own. It's on. This is such a stupid metaphor, picture kind of thing, but it feels like like knowing that a building is going to burn down with you in it, and you're like, okay, how much do I have to work out to be able to make it out of here? And you're like. None of that defends you from fire. None of it. Like Dwayne the Rock Johnson no. is going to sizzle the way everybody is. I didn't mean to make this a hellfire brimstone thing. I didn't mean that at all. I'm just mean like, yeah. like you you don't have the ability to save yourself. Yeah, and I think and the, the closer you yes. get to recognizing that. The faster you get. Because if you listen to this sermon, yeah. if you listen to this sermon or you listen to Jesus talking and all you feel is condemned and like you're not going to be good enough and you're not going to make it. You're missing the point. The point of this sermon is to go, what if no one lusted? What if no one lied? Man, what if everybody just told the truth? Like, and no marriage is ever broke up. Yeah. And no one hated anyone. What if what if everybody just was kind? Like, no one's going like, oh, I hate that place. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. that to be true. Everybody just knows it's not possible. But that doesn't mean it doesn't want it or that it wouldn't be ideal. Yeah. And like, and so in my mind, he's painting a picture of something that we would all want, but yeah. we all recognize so fast that it that it would mean we can't go. 
we couldn't be there. Like we can't get invited. Like it'd be an awesome place, but I would break it the minute I get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. it, you know, it really is. That's why the fulfillment, that's why he says, you know, it can't be removed because law, the law is only revealing the labor of love that Jesus is going to go through to reveal this. And it's yeah. like, don't change any of it because you're going to need to see the fullest picture possible of how far my love will go to rescue you. Yeah. And that's that's why he doesn't. It's not because he's like wanting to hold you accountable. He's like, no, I didn't come to the world to condemn you with this. I came into the world to show you how much I love you. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why I love Francis Chan's posture on uh kind of the fear evangelism that mm-hmm. that people have spun for a while, the hellfire brimstone, sinners in the hands of an angry god sort of thing. He said, "I I preach about like hell and destruction and salvation and running to Jesus and all these things, not because I hate you. It's because I'm scared for you. You're freaking me out mm-hmm. with how flippantly you're taking all this and yeah. how flippantly you're living your life. Said so it, it doesn't feel like I want you to die. feels like we're both about to jump out of a plane and, you got and no I have parachute. a parachute and I'm holding yours and I'm saying, take it. And you're saying, no, I'm good. It's like, you're freaking me out. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, and yeah. I think I think that's the truth of the matter is like there's just ways to read this that maybe your upbringing or maybe the p- posture that you've been preached to in yeah. really makes this just you'll leave just feeling yeah. like trash. And I just I hate that. Let's get a couple of questions. I know you have them yes. generated. I, I want to try to answer them. There's so much to talk about in this in the sense of like it's it's almost atonement theology. Yeah. I am going to ask questions top to bottom, and you tell me if you feel like we've already answered it. Yeah. What is the significance of Jesus starting, sorry, stating that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them? Um, I mean, I think everybody's worried that he's starting something new, and he's trying yeah. to show that he is incongruent with God's plan has not changed. This has been yeah. the plan all along. So We just found enough loopholes to make his original intention irrelevant to that law mm-hmm. and yeah. the way we practice it. And so it's it's just, uh, you know, there's no need to do the sacrificial system anymore because Jesus came and showed that the sacrificial system does not have a need anymore. Yeah, and the, with the, him the, here. A lot of, yeah, a lot of the things that they were doing before were based on a covenant that now has been completed. So yeah. it's it's the, the idea of, like, your spouse has died and moved on, and that relationship completed it, it it was done you know that yeah. covenant is now over you know that yeah. type of you know that type of idea so yeah i need to take a break here and tell you that if you're listening or watching right now and you hear me sniffing a lot i've been digging through a lot of old equipment that we're trying to sell to a company yep. and so i'm allergic to dust <laughs> and I'll, honestly i'm allergic to indoors and outdoors those two locations are places <laughs> i'm allergic to so i can't i can't stop uh, very sorry. If I had the time and if the, I was paid mm-hmm. so much more than I'm paid now, mm-hmm. I would go through here and just like cut out every sniff that I have. No. Uh, but you know, this is raw. This is real. Raw, this is real, for the authentic. People. Yep. Yeah. Down with the patriarchy. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, how does Jesus' statement about not abolishing the law relate to his previous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Kind of already hit this. Yeah, with we the, did. With the, this is the bar for entry. And everybody realizes their own strength can't do it, but the people closer to it are kind of angry about it. The people furthest from it are kind of grateful for it. Yeah, it's the whole idea he comes with full measure of grace and truth. So it's the truth of the law versus what he's going to offer 
you cannot measure grace without measuring the law as well. Like you cannot yeah. see how far you've been forgiven without knowing how far you've fallen. Yeah. Um, those types of ideas. So, you know, not abolishing it is really important to see the fullness of the love of the gift that Jesus is giving. Yeah. How does Jesus' view of the law differ from the religious leaders of his time? And what does this reveal about his authority and interpretation of Scripture? Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about this in the sermon, but I'll, yep. I'll talk a little bit more. The law was treated as almost the, the more valuable thing than God himself. And so these, uh, the equation I think of most Pharisees and teachers of the law and most people I think at that time, if you can try to get inside their head and understand it, they didn't know exactly a bunch about God's heart and they didn't always know exactly what God was up to. But they saw him like a cosmic genie that as long as they followed the rules yeah. that God would show up on their behalf. And they just saw it in their personal life and in, the, in their nationality and, and you know, in their, in their communities. And so the law was seen as this secret code, uh, the secret equation that would give them access to the blessings that God would offer and maybe even keep them out of trouble. And so it, it really turned from, you know, like a kid obeying the parents' rules just so they can go out later or play the video games, not because they respect the parent, love the parent, have a relationship with the parent. Um, it just became this list that they were trying to do so that they could get what they wanted from the parent. Um, yeah. And it really was souring God's, I think it was just souring God's stomach. I don't think he he liked it at all. It was like they yeah. forgot what the laws were for. The laws were for the 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 love of the relationship to flow best. And to be, you know, able to flow back and forth and for us to love others and love him. And the law was there as kind of like guardrails for the road. And people mm -hmm. just forgot that the road existed and they yeah. just kept putting up more guardrails. <laughs> like, yeah. And there was no, no relationship. So, you know, Jesus comes in immediately and he's like, hey, I came to complete what the law was about. And guess what it's about? It's about bringing you into me. It's about relationship. I am here to do what the law yeah. was trying to do. So it it really is uh, Jesus is kind of reinstating that the law was not the reason that Jesus came because the law was being broken. The reason Jesus came is because we were lost. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it makes me think back to the Old Testament before Jesus mm -hmm. and who was or were the most important applauded people by God. Who who was closest to receiving the, this is my beloved son with whom mm -hmm. I'm well pleased? I mean, it was people that had the deepest relationship with God. It's definitely, yeah. I mean, David is absolutely the one that comes to your That's mind. exactly you know. where I was going. Yeah. I, so. Most other people are just like, he was a guy mm -hmm. or he was a, a good patriarch yeah. or whatever. David was like, he was a man after God's own heart. And I think God said that? Yeah. Or Somebody else said that about him. Um, I'd have to look that up. But, mm -hmm. like, he's highly applauded. Was it for following all the rules? Actually, he's the person who had the most favor while breaking the most rules. Yeah, I was going to say, he kept his favor a lot of times even through really horrible things. Now, like, there's David and Bathsheba, and he was kind of different after that, and but he still went down as somebody after God's own heart. And also, he had the table of showbread thing where he took bread meant for God and for priests. Yeah. For him and his hungry, dirty men who were fighting people and whatever. And he kind of aligned with the Philistines and some other enemies of God a few times. And yet, through all this, he was on the run from the king of Israel yep. for a while. Like, you start adding up all that stuff, you're like, whoa. 
This guy spent half his life on the wrong side of the law, breaking rules about the temple. And yet, his intention was for God. He, he didn't want the kingship for himself. He wanted the kingship because he thought that God, oh, yeah. rightly, wanted him to be king. Well, he, he broke the rules about the table of showbread to show kindness. Whereas yep. Saul, who broke religious cultic laws like David, he broke laws about offering sacrifices. He just wanted to step in and do it himself. He leaned on his own power for yep. his own glory and Absolutely. to keep people off his back. God got so mad at him. They was like you're not king anymore. Yep. I mean the wild the wild thing is you see it so clearly. I was just looking up. Enoch was the other one that was described yeah. as the one that walked with God. Yeah. Um. And he was one. Of the and he walked ones. with God straight up those just steps, straight up in. You know, like, you don't need to die. Um. Which is just wild. And I think there is, there's a part of me that I think I really really values this. That in in my heart of hearts, you know, this is true. Like, yeah your spouse, your kids, like friends, like it, when, when they have a repentive heart, when they, when they value you and they're there for you and when they speak kindly of you, like there's just something about like they can be sometimes jerks or horrible, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's just like this natural, like, but we're in a relationship together and it's messy, yeah. but we're walking together and we're okay. Versus the friend that like keeps all the records of every wrong that's ever been done to you and like reminds you of the th- times you've, fallen short and like doesn't doesn't like to uh be thrown off i mean you know what i mean like the relationship yeah. very quickly becomes like almost mechanical or or like legalistic and yeah. like it feels ugh. and i just i have a nose for that whenever i feel legalism slipping in like it's almost like a like i sneeze it out like your dust yeah like i just i wish i could sneeze hand it i can't hand it handle it man because it's just so far from what i know god really wants it's it it it's it parades around as the right thing yeah and hides the truly thing you know the true thing that god wants to use that analogy in an almost the same way but a slightly different way we all know especially in if we you went to public school or something like that we all know the difference between friends who are loyal to you and friends who think you are valuable to them in the moment yep you don't have to think super hard and long about it's about the, what that's it's like. the prodigal son i mean the older son keeps all the rules and doesn't want the father's heart yeah and the younger son breaks all the rules but in the end receives the father's heart yeah and it just you're like who do you want to be and like the pharisees are like well i'm the older son and you're like exactly <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah <laughs> you know but yeah it, it, it's just yeah what's the next question okay uh I was reading through these questions, and half of them sound like restatements of the same thing. So yeah. we'll see what we get. Uh, in verse 18, Jesus emphasizes the enduring nature of the law and the prophets. What implication does this have for how believers approach and interpret Old Testament scriptures today? Well, I, I think the key to that verse is the last part where it says, until everything is accomplished. And so yeah. everything is accomplished. There's some debate around that. Is he talking about what he's going to accomplish uh, in his in his earthly wife and like life? So like when Did he say wife, life, okay, earthly life, <laughs> sorry, code. But Divi- no, 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 no. So like when he dies and then comes back from the grave, <laughs> is that it's it is done? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what he says on the cross. It's finished. And so in my mind, like I think yeah, I think that's more of what he's trying to to get to, where it's like. Um, I'm not going to rewrite the book in order to accomplish my my divinity. Uh, I'm not going to change anything of what uh, Isaiah says is going to happen to me. 
Uh, I'm yeah. not going to back down from any prophecy that's been told. I am going to ride in on a donkey. I am going to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything that he's doing. And basically what he's doing is he's throwing down the gauntlet. He's basically just like, mm-hmm. I am going to walk the walk and I'm going to do it to the very letter of the law. Nothing will be erased. Everyone will know, you know, yeah. even to the point of the Roman soldier that killed him. <laughs> like, yeah. surely this was the son of God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, uh, this is a little off track, but those Roman soldiers, I'm, I may have said this on the podcast before, um, they all have coins in their pocket from the Roman Empire that have the face of an emperor, Octavius Augustus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was still emperor at that time. Maybe it was to somebody else recently when Jesus died. They'll have coins in their pocket if they own any money uh, that have the picture of the emperor. And he was the second, I think, in a line of three or four around that hundred years who put uh, Octavius Augustus, whatever, Caesar Augustus, Divi Filius, son of God. Mm. And there's even an Im- Im- empiric, I almost said empirical, imperial cult yeah. to worship the emperor. Some people say they don't worship him as a god. They worship him. It's more like the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Um, other people would lean more towards like, no, they they think that he has at least the favor of the gods, at least of Rome. Kind of like North North and, Korea. Uh, yeah. yeah, where where like sort of some prophet, divinely elected sort of mm-hmm. guy. Some people think the moment he dies, he's going to be made into a god. Either way, son of God was a phrase, sort of recently at that time, but well known, coined pun intended by the emperor. Yeah. So to say, surely this man was the son of God is kind of fighting words, is kind of like... An omission. If, he, if that dude really said that in that way at that exact time and a disciple overheard him, I bet that dude was like, surely this guy was the son of God. <gasps> and like, tried to catch himself. Because you don't say that. Yeah. Dude, and I mean, the yeah. text is amazing. I mean, it really is uh, kind of like yeah. a full thing. It, it Every word in here is wet, is measured. It's on purpose. Um <laughs> You know, he he breaks this down. Therefore, anyone who sets aside any of these things, you know, kings, whoever practices, teaches them, great, you know, the, they'll be great. So, you know, he's almost like basically saying, like, anybody that tries to pretend like this isn't going to happen, you're in big trouble. But anybody mm-hmm. that talks about it and shows and reveals it, good job. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's wild. Okay, I got one last one here. Yeah. Um. And again, it's it's a little similar, but I feel like these are attacking it from different angles. Yeah. What is the significance of Jesus' warning against the consequences of relaxed obedience to the commandments and the potential impact on one's position in the kingdom of heaven? So again, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a legalistic question, even though it's phrased that way. Yeah. I think more of what Jesus is saying is like, if you act like you don't need help, you're not mm-hmm. going to get in. But the minute you start recognizing you need help, you're going to be in. Because what he says, like just to, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he hasn't told you any of his commands yet, and you're yeah. assuming that it's it's going back to the Old Testament. Which it is. It is, but he's going to show the heart of the Old Testament. And so what he's going to do is reveal why. And he does that. That's why this is one sermon, and it's really, really important. You have heard it said, you know, do not lust, 
or do not commit adultery. What I tell you is if you even look at a woman in your lust, those don't fall away. Mm-hmm. Those are taught. Those are a part of the kingdom of heaven. They yeah. have Old Testament roots, but they have New Testament heart. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it really, it really needs to be the both of these. This is a section that's connecting that you are salt and light. <laughs> and that this is what salt and light looks like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's it's really, really important when he emphasizes that to go like the kingdom of heaven has this desire at the center of it that you will not that you will love, that you will not hate, that you will tell the truth, that you will be peacemakers and people that bridge relationships, that you will not be uh, vindictive or re- or re- seek revenge, that you will be peacemakers. You will not even create enemies, that you will choose to love your enemies. Like mm-hmm. it starts to just really break. And that's basically what he's saying. It's like the people that love those and start to go towards them, they're in. The people that relax and don't think those are a big deal, that's kind of the the kingdom. You won't like mm-hmm. where the kingdom is then because that's and what the kingdom is. There's some honor shame in there, mm-hmm. greatest, least. Um, but I think there's also a little bit of proximity in there mm-hmm. that getting to heaven or getting to the afterlife mm-hmm. is not about like, <laughs> like the show, the good place, yeah. not about earning enough points to be in the good place, more good points than negative, bad points. Um, but it's about wanting to be with God. And there's something about wanting to be with God that implies that you're, you, you value who God is and you want to look like God's character. Yep. Maybe not, steal his power, pride, glory kind of stuff, but look like his compassion and his mercy. It reminds me a lot of Jonah, um, Mm -hmm. where there's this phrase that gets repeated throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms, in Genesis or Exodus, um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it's used in Jonah in an angry way. Jonah, in chapter 4, God saves uh, their their ancient version of Nazi Berlin. Mm-hmm. He saves them because they repent from a five-word sermon. And Jonah goes, oh my gosh, I knew it. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But he's angry at it because he didn't want them to be saved. Yep. He's angry at who God is when he shows mercy. I mean, that dude's, if he if he's in heaven, I'm not trying to say yes or no, but like, that dude's gonna be the least. He's not well, on board with God. And then the you know the same heat that that um, sets the clay also melts the wax. And I love that yeah. idea. It's just like when you're around God, either your heart is hardened and you want nothing to do with Him because yeah. you don't want to be like Him, or your heart is like wax and it melts and it becomes something new. I quoted yeah. the Deuteronomy six because it's one of my favorite. Like it's one of my yeah. favorite illustrations for how the 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 people of Israel were supposed to teach the next generation about the law and the rules. Yeah. And it was, and, and it's really neat because in verse six through eight, it literally says this impress, not impress. Like, Oh, look how good I am at it. Impress as in like pressing something into clay or yeah. a mold. Yeah. And so how do you do that is if I look a certain way and act a certain way and you bump into me, I leave an impression on you. Mm-hmm. 
And what you engage with and what part of me you engage with is what rubs off and leaves a mark. And so as these people are raising their kids, he's basically saying, you have to look and act like this in order for your kids to be impressed with yeah. it. You cannot look, look and act. And I believe it's the same thing with Jesus. When you get close enough, you can't help but be impressed into by him. Mm-hmm. Like You can't help but look like him, act like him, be like him. Because when you bump up against them, all you get is love. All you get is peace. All you get is kindness. Well, you, you might get the truth, but you'll get it with grace in equal measure. Mm-hmm. And it's you get it with the undercurrent of care for you. Yes. And it's He's never wild. Like, like you're so lustful and I hate you and hope you die. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's you're so lustful and it is breaking you and everybody around you. And I want better for you. Yep. And guess what? My kingdom, that doesn't happen there. But yeah. We, we got to work on that in your heart. Come to my house. My parents have the on-brand Cheetos. Yeah, like, like off-brand Cheetos don't happen there. And so I yeah. think what it starts to be, as I said earlier, it's just this beautiful beginning of the rescue note that yeah. is going to be the Sermon on the Mount. And it's it's this idea of uh, painting a picture of what heaven will look like. Yeah. But at the same time, recognizing you and I are not in heaven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's really, it can be really dark and impactful because you see how far the world is from what it was supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. And you, it can feel overwhelming because how could this be made right? And what if it's not? Yeah. And how could this be undone? And you start to do, I, I mean, I, I would hope that they start to realize, like, even if Israel gets their nation back and Rome's kicked out and they're all by themselves again, they can't do all this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't, yeah. this isn't doable. Like, and so it really is this picture of like, no, greater than Israel. Like his kingdom's bigger than even Israel is. Yeah. And like for them, that's like, I can't imagine that, you know, but it's going to be something greater. You and I don't think of it in that context, but they were. I guarantee yeah. you they were. So, yeah. you know, this beautiful intro, it's, it's really, uh, like I said, it can be easily misinterpreted to feel like it's all about like, you got to be really good at rules to get into the kingdom. Yeah. And if you're not talking about the rules and teaching the rules and doing the rules, then you're not going to get in. And in fact, it's actually more just like, hey, these rules, they're not going to work. You're going to need a relationship. Yeah. You're going to need to be tied to something. You're going to need to be attached to something else. Yeah. You need help. You need big time help. Yeah. And you, you can't, can't even picture where I'm trying to take you. You can't be a Yahweh worshiper without Yahweh. You can't be a Christian, a little Christ, mm-hmm. without Christ. Yep. Like, so stop trying. Yep. And stop trying on your own strength and start relying. And so the next, not to get too far ahead, but the next, like, I think it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, six sections. He's going to do three things you need to stop doing, and then he's going to do three things you should start doing. Yeah. <laughs> and in between, he tells you to just Tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, stop lusting, stop stop hating, and stop breaking relationships. Heaven's not like that. And by the way, if you say you're going to do this, just say you're going to do this. You don't need to swear on your dead grandma. Yeah. Oh, and also, you know, you should stop, stop revenging. That's really start repairing mm-hmm. and loving your neighbor, loving your enemies. And then guess what? You should give some stuff away and be really gracious. It's actually really good for your heart. Like, yeah. And, like, even if you just took those six, seven things and you're like, what if we all just did those for the rest of our yeah. lives? You'd be like, 
world gets a lot better place yeah. really fast. And so he, he's simultaneously writing you out of heaven and simultaneously picturing a heaven that you want to go to. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's, it's just yeah. powerful. I, and you're, you're leaning in, you're leaning out. Um, yeah. That's why it's the greatest sermon ever written. There's no way around. we could study it for months and we probably yeah. will. And it's really, really good. So, Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still watching and paying attention, uh, thanks, Mom. I really do appreciate yeah. the truth. Also, thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Zach. From two episodes ago. Yes! <laughs> I forgot. Zach, I hope you did it. This is uh, Ryan and Trevor in the morning. morning. <laughs> We're lame. <laughs> <laughs> if you get that reference, put it in the comments. Um, Yeah, leave a subscribe, leave a review, push it. Turn on notifications, Hit buttons. all those stuff. Hit buttons that tell us that you're happy with us. <laughs> Leave any questions or any things you, you thought we missed or maybe things that you didn't understand. We're always willing to reach out and uh, help if we can. Yeah, and all these things just help our robot overlords know that you're happy with us. Yep. And they should be happy with us. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. Have a great and glorious day in the Lord. We'll see you later. See you.